0: Okay, we are going to wrap up today a four and a half year study. So, if you missed a couple of the classes, um, it's all online. And uh, uh, But we're going to wrap it up today. We're wrapping up the chronological life of Jesus. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 1. And reading from verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up So it says that in in, in actually the end of, of Luke's gospel says that he took them near Bethany, so they were near the city of Bethany, which is actually not on the top of the Mount of Olives, where many people think that Jesus actually had his ascension. Bethany is down on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, um, and, and down at down at the the eastern base there. And so it says he was near Bethany when he did this, but it says. Uh, um, he had spoken to them, he was taken up, and then it says, a cloud hid him from their sight. So he was taken up. So here's the picture. And this is important because this is how he's coming back, it says. It says he was taken up, and then a cloud met him in the air and took him out of their sight. And that's why it says, you, you, it says that he is going to return coming in the clouds. Because here it says the angels spoke to them, these men standing in white two suddenly dressed in white said men of Galilee why do you stand here looking into the sky the same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven so when he returns he's going to return coming in the clouds and they were just gazing up into heaven thinking that maybe he was going to turn right around and come right back and took some angels to say he's not coming back right now and uh so what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna I'm just gonna give you a synopsis of the, the four and a half years because very few of you have been here over the entire four and a half years. I think Lindsay's been here and, and uh but but um so as a sequel, what happened was Jesus when he first was ministering and all this all the references for this and everything are in what we've covered in the past and, and they're all online, but he says that, that uh he came as a witness and he was bearing forth the witness that he, indeed he was the Jewish Messiah. And he was healing people regardless of faith. He was healing the masses regardless of faith. But then when there was a rejection of him, there was a rejection on the grounds of his being demon-possessed. There was a rejection of him by the Jewish leadership on the grounds of his being demon-possessed. Once that occurred, that brought on what, what is called the unpardonable sin. And Jesus was the one who spoke about this. In the Gospel according to Matthew, the unpardonable sin is not a sin that anyone here can commit. You just can't do it. The unpardonable sin is, was a national sin that occurred, and it was something that occurred by denying the physical presence of Jesus, the Messiah, on the grounds of his being demon-possessed. That brought on the unpardonable sin, and that brought on the prophecy of the AD 70 destruction of Jerusalem. And again and again in that passage, he spoke about this generation, this generation, this generation, meaning the generation alive at that time is what he was making reference to. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 12, so turn to Matthew chapter 12, And we're going to read from verse verse, uh, 39, Matthew chapter 12. Well, we'll start in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus then said, the only sign you're going to get as a nation anymore is going to be the sign of Jonah. Now what Jesus did after that day is he spoke in parables. Before that unpardonable sin, he never spoke in parables. He spoke in parables only after that day, and we know that because his disciples said, why are you speaking in parables? They asked him about it. He says, because it's for, you to, uh, it's for you to understand, but not for them. He started speaking in parables. From that day, they had to have faith in order to be healed, and he only healed individuals based upon faith. After the unpardonable sin, it was individuals based upon faith, except when he went into the Gentile territories. So, but after that, before the, the unpardonable sin, there was no prerequisite for faith. We've covered lots and lots of verses on this. And then he says you're only going to see the sign the only sign that I'm going to give to this generation is the sign of Jonah and this is the sign of resurrection 3 days going to rise from the dead the sign of resurrection turn to Matthew chapter 16 verse 4 Matthew chapter 16 verse 4 says An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left and he went away. He never did any more signs to the Jews as a nation, as a large body of believers. He did many individual signs. Remember when there were groups of people. He took the man who was Jewish, who was blind. He didn't heal him in front of the masses anymore. He took him aside and healed him. We know that because it's documented that after that date, He healed individuals. Individuals could be saved out of that 70 A.D. judgment that was coming. It was an individual thing at that point. But that brought on the judgment of the 70 A.D. judgment, and that's what He spoke about on that very day. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see where Jesus is here speaking, And uh, uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is is teaching in first Corinthians chapter one and we'll read down in verse twenty one. First Corinthians one twenty twenty one. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for a sign. And Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. So what he is saying is that the Jews were still asking for signs. Paul says we're not here to do signs. We are preaching Christ crucified. Remember that. Remember that. When you have opportunity to teach, when you have opportunity to speak the things of God, preach Christ and Him crucified. You can have all sorts of topics that you like to speak about, but he says we preach Christ and him crucified. The Jews were still asking for signs. Jesus had told them a sign will not be given except the sign of resurrection. And if you turn to John chapter eleven, turn to John chapter eleven, you will see in in John chapter eleven that the first sign of resurrection was given, and the first sign was of resurrection was in Lazarus. That sign was given, and, and, uh, and then in, in John chapter 11, reading from verse 45, they rejected that first sign of resurrection. He said, you're only going to get the sign of resurrection. The first resurrection was that of Lazarus. He says, therefore, many of the Jews in verse 45 of John chapter 11, who came to Mary, saw what he had done, and believed in him, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, "What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. But one of them, who was named Caiaphas, and then he, he went on. So they rejected the first sign of resurrection. We just read about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they rejected that sign as well. In Acts chapter 7, they rejected the second sign of resurrection. That sign was finally rejected in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen. And the rejection of the sign of resurrection, by the the sign of resurrection of Jesus, that sign was then rejected. And so we see that that, uh, that was the second sign of resurrection. The third sign of resurrection is going to restore Israel at, and bring them back into the kingdom. And that's going to happen, and we'll read about that right now. But that is the third sign of resurrection. That is the only sign that the resurrection is going to occur. So if you, t- if you, were, to, if you were to look in Zechariah chapter 4, you will see that it speaks of two olive trees... Two olive trees being the witness. Well, we can turn there. If you turn to Zechariah, it's one of the minor prophets near the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 4. And if you, you, you look down, in, we'll, we'll, turn to, we'll, we'll start reading from verse 11. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 11. This is what was prophesied. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on, on its left? And I answered the second time and said to him, what are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes, which, which empty the, gold, the, the golden oil from themselves? So he answered me saying, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. So he speaks about two olive trees that are the anointed ones who stand by the Lord. There's no other reference to the two olive trees except until we get, uh, uh, until we get to the book of Revelation. And then it brings them back up again. So, if you turn to Revelation chapter 11. So, turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 11. And we're going to see how he picks this back up again, this very thought. Revelation chapter 11. We'll start reading from verse 3. And what he sees, let me just mention while you're turning there, in Zechariah, what he sees is he sees the nation, this vision that Zechariah has is of the nation of Israel coming into a place of salvation as a nation receiving Him. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, it says, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Verse 4, then these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. There is no reference to two olive trees in the book of Revelation earlier than this. So what he must be referring to is the only reference that is made about this. And this is back in the prophet Zechariah. He says in verse 5, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast comes up out of the abyss and will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is the mystical Sodom and Egypt, which also their Lord, in which also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days, and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid at a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth, But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was passed, behold the third woe was coming. So this is the two this is going to be now the third sign of resurrection. So as we have discussed before, there is a seven year period where there will be the great tribulation. During the first three and a half years of that tribulation These two witnesses will be great witnesses in the city of Jerusalem. These are different than the next 144,000 that are going to come among the Jewish nations, which are going to be witnesses to the world. These are two witnesses restricted to Jerusalem. Some people think, we have no evidence of this from Scripture, but some people think it is going to be Enoch and Elijah, these two men. And the reason is because neither Enoch nor Elijah died. Both of them were taken directly up into heaven. So as the scriptures say, it is given for all men to die once and then comes judgment. You have two men in the scriptures that themselves never died. And so that's why some people think that these two witnesses are going to be Enoch from the book of Genesis and Elijah. And so, so um, these two men, after three and a half years of speaking forth and bringing judgment and woe upon the earth, the prophets of God... the enemy is going to come and is going to be given power to kill them. They will lie down, they will be dead for three and a half days and then they will rise up. There are several things that are going to happen once they stand up, once they rise up and are taken up into heaven. It says in verse 13, at that hour there's going to be a great earthquake and also a tenth of the city of Jerusalem will collapse in that earthquake. 7,000 people will be killed in that earthquake and the rest are going to be terrified and start giving glory to God. And that begins, that begins then, the repentance of the nation of Israel. That repentance is not complete until the end of the tribulation period, which is seven, day, seven years, so three and a half years from that point, then comes the entire nation of Israel is going to repent and come back around. And they are going to be saved. And you will see the national acceptance of Jesus as Messiah by the nation. There was a national rejection of him. He gave them this. Only the sign of Jonah is what they would receive. He gave them the sign of Jonah in Lazarus. They rejected it. And they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus as a result. He gave them the sign of resurrection in himself. They rejected it in the book of Acts. The Sanhedrin called for the stoning of Stephen. And, that, and you see exactly when that happened. In Acts chapter 8, what happens? The gospel starts leaving Jerusalem and going out to the non-Jews, to the Gentile world. It is at that moment, after the second rejection of Jonah, the sign of Jonah. It is at the third sign of Jonah that now you start seeing the national repentance. And they start giving glory to God. And that's why Jesus said, you will not see my face again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that nation will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then three days after the end of, after the seven year period, three days after that seven year period of the great tribulation, the nation of Israel will give a national, will have a national repentance and the Lord will come. That is what the scriptures say. We want to look at, at, at uh, uh, and, and so this is just filling in from the life of Jesus the things we've already looked at. So this is, remember, this is just a synopsis, just an overview of four and a half years of studying the life of Jesus from the time He was born till the time He died and, and, and rose from the dead. So there are a few other scriptures I want to look at. And, and um, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So that we understand some of these portions that that sometimes are confusing. So if you go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start reading. We're going to look at uh, uh, verse verse 38. Acts 2.38. Peter said to them. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so if you look at this, he says, Repent, and each of you be baptized uh, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And, in verse 40, he says, And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. What Peter is talking about here, because some people will teach that you need to be baptized to be saved. And so we're going to cover this again. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is an act of walking through in what Jesus has told us to do, what the Word of God has instructed us to do. Baptism we follow up on this, but he's, he's speaking not of salvation for their souls. He is speaking of their physical salvation because he says, be saved from this perverse generation. He's again speaking of this generation. What Peter is warning them is that there is a coming judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD when there is going to be a destruction and everybody... In the city of Jerusalem is going to be killed. And even in the surrounding districts. And that happened by the Romans in 70 AD. They killed everyone. The siege started in 66 AD. They took the city in 70 AD and they killed everyone. And he is telling them, you've got to be careful about this. Turn to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. In verse 16. Because the judgment is coming. He's warning them about this judgment that's coming. Acts 22. Verse 16, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Again, he's saying, be baptized, wash away your sins. Well, I thought my sins are forgiven. What is this baptism? Wash away your sins. Well, this is further spoken about in the book of 1 Peter. So turn to 1 Peter. So turn to 1 Peter. And, and if you look in First uh, Peter chapter three, First Peter chapter three, verse 21, First Peter chapter three, verse 21. And let me give you a preface on this. Peter In First Peter chapter one, he clearly says that he's writing to the Jews. He's not writing to a Gentile audience, he's writing to a Jewish audience. In First in, in, uh, Peter chapter two, verses one through three, he says he's speaking to baby. Jews in the Lord, meaning those who are young in their faith. In Second Peter, he starts addressing those who are mature in their faith. In First Peter, he's addressing those who are quite young in their faith. And he says in verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he says, baptism now saves you. Some will teach, it is the act of baptism That saves you. And remember, there was a man on the cross next to Jesus hanging on a cross. He said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus said, You'll be with me in my kingdom this day. He didn't say, Too bad for you. You're not baptized. You're not coming in. Here, he he clearly says that, that what's going on here is he's warning them about the AD 70 judgment. And the book of Hebrews is filled with this. In the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is saying this. There's a judgment coming, and he says, save yourselves. You can't save yourselves, the Scriptures. He says, be baptized and save yourselves. Well, nobody can save themselves, but what baptism did is it marked them. Here is what they thought. They were undergoing great persecution, and they felt, well, we can just deny the faith, go back into rabbinic Judaism, and we'll be fine. And then once the persecution is over, we'll repent and go back and follow Jesus. And what, what the writer of Hebrews is teaching them is, that's not an option. That's not an option. Because if you go back under rabbinic Judaism, you will be killed physically. Every judgment, the five judgments proclaimed in the book of Hebrews, are not due to a lack of salvation. The five judgments are all physical death he's speaking about physical death that's going to come if you stay in the city, because what happened was getting baptized marked them. And you will see it in Muslims today. You will see it in Jews today. They're very reluctant to get baptized. Even when they receive Jesus as Messiah or receive Jesus as Lord, they're reluctant to get baptized because that is an act of separation from their community. They recognize it as that. We don't recognize it as that because we grown up in this country, you know, hey, everybody's a Christian, aren't we? So uh, we don't see it as that way. But that's exactly the way they see it. You will see many Chinese. They will get saved. And you say, are, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian, but I've not been baptized. Because baptism is an act where you're, there's no going back. It is an outward statement that there's no turning back anymore. And what he told them is, if you do not have this Outward statement, here's two things that go on. It is affecting your conscience because you're walking in a disobedience to the Lord. Number two, you're going to get caught up in that city because once you get baptized, the community itself will reject you and that will be your physical salvation because they will throw you out of the city and you will be able to flee. We know from extra biblical sources that these Jews responded to the writing of the book of Hebrews. And we know that from three writers. There were three writers. There was Josephus from the first century, and and uh, and, and he was a, a, Pharisee, a Pharisee, but not a believing Jew. There was uh, uh, Hegesippus of the second century, and Yesubius of the fourth century all wrote about this. It turns out there were 1.1 million Jews were killed in this attack by the Romans in the 70 AD judgment. It was quite a judgment. But there were no believing Jews killed. There were 20,000 that left that city as a result of the writing of the book of Hebrews. They got baptized and they couldn't be of that community anymore and they left that city. There were another 80,000 from the surrounding district and they all went to the city of Pela. Pela is across the Jordan River just near the Sea of Galilee. It's just part of the ten cities called the Decapolis. Jesus often ministered in the Decapolis on that Gentile side. And, but there were Gentiles there, there were Jews there. They went to the city of Pella and they waited out the destruction. But there were a total of 1.1 million Jews that were killed. None of them were believing Jews, ones that had received Jesus as the Messiah, because of the writing of the book of Hebrews, warning them. So in the book, when it says, baptism saves you, it was a physical salvation. A physical salvation from the A.D. 70 judgment that was coming. So this is a synopsis of of all that we've read. But what I want you to see is two things. If you have not been baptized, it is an important thing to do. He, He tells them, for one thing, it's going to be your physical salvation. For you, that's not the case. He says, but the other thing it's for is your conscience. Without that, your conscience would... And if you're thinking, oh, well, you know, what's this thing of being baptized? Why does it keep coming back? If you're okay just walking in disobedience with this, then it shouldn't be bothering your conscience. It is an act that, that God has told us to do. You say, well, it's a little embarrassing. That is fine. Be embarrassed. Be embarrassed. Get baptized. You just fill out a form and, and uh, they'll, they'll just... They'll just ask you a few questions, being assured of your salvation and get baptized. In the Scripture, in the Scripture, every example in the Scripture of baptism always occurred after believing. There is no example of the, in the Scripture of anyone getting baptized prior to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so, when they brought children to Him, Jesus didn't say, oh, baptize them, baptize them. No, what did He do? He blessed the children. He blessed them. Baptism, it comes after believing. If you've not been baptized after believing, you really ought to be. But what I want to leave you with is this. We have seen prophecy after prophecy concerning the life of Jesus over this last four and a half year study. Lots of prophecies. And every one of them, every one of them was coming about. Jesus spoke of the sign of Jonah, the resurrection, and then Lazarus is dead, on the fourth day, after three days, Jesus raised him up. Then we see, then, then we saw Jesus. He rose from the dead, just as was prophesied, he rose from the dead. There was the rejection of that. Now we know exactly what's coming. Exactly what's been written is exactly what's coming. We are not in the seven years of tribulation, I can assure you, because there are many signs that, 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 that show this sort of thing, that, that have not come, come to take place yet. But what He speaks to us happens. What He speaks to us happens. And this gives us great assurance. I want to close with this verse. I want you to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. There are promises which God has made. And just as they have been fulfilled again and again, that we've seen prophecies have been fulfilled, he speaks words into our own lives that we can hold on to. When I was your age, right around when, when I was I was uh, uh, twenty years old, I was given a verse when I was getting baptized. I was getting baptized at the age of twenty. It was the first time somebody had spoken to me concerning the importance of baptism. The first time somebody spoke to me concerning the importance, I did not want to delay. If you learn to obey as soon as you hear, it will go very well with you in life. Learn to obey quickly. Don't delay obedience. There are numerous examples where people had had uh, 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 they had a, a, a good heart, but they didn't follow through on obedience. And it cost them greatly. As soon as I heard, I was baptized like within the next day or two. And at my baptism, somebody read me this verse and said, here's a verse for you, the, the man who was overseeing the baptism. And it was this, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <clears throat> I held on to this first. This meant something to me. It was just about your age. And I had all of these insecurities in my life. And, and I wondered, Lord, what's going to happen with my life? Am I ever going to find you know, a, 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 the spouse that you have for me? Is it going to go well? What's my career going to be like? And all these doubts, thinking everybody else was smarter than me. Everybody else was, was, was faster and stronger and whatever else. And then I learned how to take a scripture verse and just call it down upon my life. This was the first verse that I memorized. This verse. Do not fear, for I am with you. And there was this comfort coming. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I used to just get so flustered with all the things before me. You know, I got this exam and this exam. I mean, student life, I thought, was the hardest life in the world. I mean, it's hard being a college student. I mean, it's just like every professor gets together and they all scheme to have all their exams at the same time. <laughs> I mean, they try to coordinate it. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And then, as I would just meditate on this, just peace, peace would come. Do not anxiously look about you peace would start dropping in on me. I will strengthen you. Sometimes I'd wake up, I'd feel so weak and inadequate for the task. And he said, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I, I, I was all of a sudden thrust in these positions where I had to teach Bible studies. I mean, who was I? I, didn't, I hardly knew the Bible at all. And I got to start teaching the Bible? I mean, there were a lot of people who knew the Bible really well. Why don't they teach it? I'll just sit there and learn. But I was cast into these positions because, amazingly, there were people that knew less than I did about the Bible. I had at least been reading it for a little while. He says, I will strengthen you. Surely, I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I would envision... I would envision in my mind God's right hand and I'm sitting right in His right hand. I would envision this. This gave me terrific strength. And I would take hold of this verse and I remember before going into exams I would fall on my knees in my room and I would recite this verse and I would envision God holding me up with His right hand. I remember going to graduate school and having these exams and praying this same prayer where God made promises to me that He would uphold me. I said, Lord, You didn't bring me this far. You didn't get me into graduate school just to drop me. I mean, think about that. Does God want to just bring somebody and go, ha-ha, and just drop them? I mean, He doesn't do that. That's not His intent. You haven't brought me here to drop me. Then I remember when I was I, I was uh, uh, just struggling at one point in, in graduate school, thinking this, my reactions weren't working, nothing was working, and I went up on top of this hill. There were hills where I was in graduate grad- that overlooked the, the university. And I was thinking, why am I here? I mean, the research isn't going well. And, and just the reassurance of God through this passage. Through this passage. You take this passage, just have God reassure you. And then I remember when I was doing a postdoc, I was at Stanford and all of us in the lab, there were many of us that were interviewing for the same jobs and in, in, in the neighboring labs around us. And all of these guys knew more chemistry than I did. I think that they had started studying chemistry in kindergarten. <laughs> they just knew so much chemistry. I was just a regular person. They just knew so much. And I'm thinking, i never going to get an offer. I mean, that... And I would go and and break every day at noontime and pray and just pray this prayer and just envision God upholding me. He's saying, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. There was a promise here. God said he would help me. And I would remind the Lord that I remembered his promise. You said you would help me. Help me, I pray, Father. Help me. We interviewed all at the same places. And I know because, you know, I'd get into the hotel that the day we were leaving and we'd see each other at the night crossing at the hotels. And and so we knew where each other was interviewed. I got every offer, every place I went to, I got the offer before anyone else. And I know I got the offer before anyone else because they'd call me and I already had this offer so I'd turn down the offer and, and then the phone would ring again right in the same lab and they'd be asking for the next person. I mean, God did it. God opened the door. God did it. He opened the door. And then I remember early on in my career, am I ever going to make it? Am I going to be successful? I'm just a student. I don't know how to run a group. I don't know how to teach. I mean, they they take you. Most professors have no teaching in how to teach. And it shows. They take us and they drop us in front of a lecture hall of several hundred undergraduates and say, teach. Uh, I've never done this before. That's all right. None of us have. (laughs) Go ahead. And you have to teach. I felt wholly inadequate, totally inadequate for this. But God, I would fall on my knees before I'd go into any lecture and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I'm going to be like a buffoon in this lecture without you. Help me. And i got all of these eyes staring in on me. And He helped me. And I remember, am I ever going to get grant money? Is it ever going to happen? Am I ever going to get grants to support my research? And I go back to this word. I said, you brought me here. You're not going to drop me now. You said you'd help me. And then these grants would just start flowing in. He'd help me. And then there were times in my career where the grant money would go down and I'd be back crying out to him. I said, Lord, you're not going to drop me now. You brought me so far. And boom, it'd bring me back up. These are the promises of God we have seen in these last four and a half years through the life of Jesus that prophecy after prophecy has been given and come true. And the promises that He gives us, if we walk in faith, He empowers us and He sustains us and He sees us through and He drops in our heart these promises of what He's going to do in our lives. And as we walk in faith, we see it. He is real. He is alive. And he sees us through. He sees us through. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. And I pray for these young people that you'd so get a hold of their hearts that they would take your word seriously and they, they would see the truth in it and they would learn to take the scriptures and call them down upon themselves. Themselves, so that it would strengthen them. Father, so that they could say, indeed, the Lord has strengthened me and upheld me with His righteous right hand. Father, I pray that each one of these young people will learn to take the Scriptures and call it down upon their own lives and remind You that they remember these Scriptures. Father, see them through, I pray. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know You, who cannot extract such power from Your Word because they've never received You. Father, I pray that they would open up their hearts this day and say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life. Lord, I pray Your blessing to be upon these young people for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.